That's Genesis chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The snake deceived me and, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading for today will be taken from Matthew chapter 26. which can be found on page 997 of the Church Bibles. That's Matthew chapter 26, starting from verse 59. Glory to you, O Lord. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, although many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward, and they declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in just three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Do please turn back to Genesis chapter 3 on page 
five of your pew Bibles, as we'll be looking at that together. Before we look at that, though, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness that we've seen as we've been looking at the first couple of chapters of your Bible. Father, I pray that today, as we bring this series to a close, that you would help us to understand your word, to see the seriousness of what it is saying, but to be overjoyed as we see what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, for my birthday last year, my parents gave me this electronic screwdriver. I used to spend ages, I don't know if you've done this, particularly with hard wood, trying to get like a bad screw out where the head has gone bad and you're just hurting your hand, your wrist hurts, you get blisters. But now, I've got this. And it is so quick. It just does it. This was a really good present. And the next service is an all-age service, so it's a bit more visual, but I thought I'd bring some of the visual things to this service as well, so you don't miss out on the fun. And what we're thinking about is presents. Because over the last four weeks in this series, we had a gap in the middle, but we've done four weeks in Genesis, we've seen four gifts from God. And here they are. The first gift, in this exercise, we're actually going to open boxes. You kind of need to imagine a present being opened, but I haven't actually wrapped them yet. The first thing we're going to open up, we're going to find a baby grow. This is actually one of our future child's baby grows. And you see it's quite neutral in colour, because we don't know whether it's a boy or a girl yet. And we're going to be thinking about how God gave us the gift of life that we saw in the first week. That babies are a great gift, but actually our own lives, the gift of life, is a great gift as well. The second box is less obvious, and it was a little while ago that we looked at this. I've got a It's a Boy and an It's a Girl card. Hannah and I don't know whether our child is going to be a boy or a girl, but in this uh, service we looked at God's good gift of gender. How God knew that the world would function best with both men and women working together as equals. The third gift we saw was work. I've got a calculator that I used to use when I did my engineering um, at university. I've got a trowel that's mostly because I couldn't fit a tractor in my box. You know, farmers work to make good things that we can enjoy together. Musicians perform their music, teachers teach children, all these good works that make the world a good place to live in. And finally, although I forgot to put this in the box, a wedding ring. Because our final one we looked at last week was the good gift of marriage. How marriage is good for society, it's good for families, it's a good place for children to flourish now, if you kind of any of those things raise any questions because you haven't been here, do go to our website and listen again to those. It was really great to see the real positives in the first two chapters of Genesis. And we saw the ends, and we know this, I'm sure many of us, 
that when God looked down on all the things he created, all the things that he gave us, he looked and he said, it's very good. There's a bit of a problem. Because I look around the world and it's not very good. Life is often too short. Gender is often just a bit messed up. Women and men don't treat each other as the equals as they should. Work is obviously spoilt. It's hard. It's disappointing. It's tiring. And marriages, well, they aren't always the perfect happy ever after love story we were led to expect. And that's before we get to war and homelessness and hurricanes and earthquakes and even Grenfell Tower. You look around at the world and it's so easy to think, if God is good, how come there's so much pain in the world? Or in this disaster, where was God? How can Christians say that God is a God of love if he allows all this suffering? Well, there's a lot we could say in answer to those questions. But this morning, we're just going to look at two introductory ideas to round off this series in the first three chapters of the Bible. If God is good, how come there is so much pain in the world? And actually, the first answer we're going to see is this. Because we broke the world. Not God. We broke the world. I want to tell you about my favourite ever holiday. It was a few years ago, and I won at work a, um, a charity auction to get a very reduced holiday in Cancun in Mexico. Now, we had to Google it first to find out where it was, but once we'd done that, we started to get very excited because we realised quickly that we'd never have a holiday as good as this again. And let me tell you, it did not disappoint. Perfect white sand beaches, all you can eat whenever you want it. When we arrived at the hotel, we were possibly the only people to have ever got a bus to this particular hotel. And we arrived hot and sweaty, but they welcomed us with champagne and a menu of scented pillows. It was awesome. Now while you think about that and wish you were somewhere else on this cold morning, imagine life in the Garden of Eden. Because it was like that, but even better. Like that, but not just for five nights. In fact, it was forever. That was the undeserved prize that Adam and Eve had won. God said, here is a perfect world, a wonderful world for you to live in. And here are some great gifts. We've just seen them for you to, so that you can enjoy life to the full. It's all you can eat luxury. But there's one rule, and that rule we saw a couple of weeks ago. It's chapter 2, verse 16. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. It's all you can eat, 
but there's one dish that is no good. If you eat that dish, it will make you ill. In fact, even worse, if you eat that dish, it will kill you. But it's fine because there's the rest of the buffet and it's all good, tasty food. But then, along comes the serpent. And the serpent has one aim. His aim is to get Adam and Eve to disobey God. And he's wily. Chapter 3, verse 1. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Or verse 4, you will not certainly die. Oh, you won't die if you eat this fruit. God said that? Oh, God's such a killjoy. God just doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that that's the best fruit. In my mind, this is slightly silly, but in my mind it's a little bit like deal or no deal. Does anyone know Deal or No Deal? It's a game show where at the end you have a contestant with a box and there's another box and in what, we don't know how much money is in each box. And the contestant has a choice. Do I stick with my box or go with the other box? In fact, in the next service we're going to watch a clip where the person in one of the boxes there's £250,000 and in the other box there's one pence. And the contestant has to decide whether to swap. Now, it's a silly example, but in a way, this is a bit like deal or no deal. Adam and Eve have all these presents, but they know what's in their presents. Then the serpent comes along with another box. And God says that's a bad box that will ruin what you've got already, but the serpent says it's the best box. And who doesn't like a mystery box? So what do you do? Do you keep what you've got or do you take the mystery box? Do you trust what God says or do you listen to the serpent? Well, verse 6, let's see what they did. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They opened the box. In a word, they committed the first sin. They doubted and disobeyed God. And the result? Shame. Now, I don't know what your first memory is. It's kind of often hard, I think, to remember your first memory, but I think my first memory is this. I remember being really young and climbing up onto the kitchen worktop. And I was a bit wobbly, but I got carefully up and I opened the cupboard and I reached as far as I could up to the top shelf and I knocked a jar out and into my hands. Now, I can't really remember specifically what happened next, but here's how I think it probably went down. Now, I opened the jar and I took out a cookie. But now the fear sets in. Because what if I'm caught? So I throw the jar back in the cupboard, I jump down and I run somewhere and hide. Somewhere where no one will find me until the evidence can be destroyed. 
tasty evidence, but evidence nonetheless. But it's not enough, because there's still a cookie missing from the cookie jar. And if my mum counted them, then I'll get caught for sure. So I spend the rest of the day out of the way, avoiding my mum if I can, feeling guilty, feeling like I don't want to be seen, feeling in a word, shame. There's this wonderful verse just before the verse we read. Chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It's a lovely picture of two people with nothing to hide. But then they eat the forbidden fruit and everything changes. The first thing that happens is there in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, suddenly they did have something to hide. They had shame. They were like me as a child. They didn't want to be seen for who they are. And so they hide from each other by putting on clothes. But it doesn't stop there. Suddenly there's a sound coming in the garden. They realise it's God walking towards them. So what do they do? They hide. And God calls out, where are you? So Adam sheepishly comes out of the bushes and replies. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And before you know it, it's, it's just all gone wrong. Adam is blaming his wife, passing the buck, trying to get out of trouble, and it's all gone wrong. And the consequences were disastrous. Within minutes, they're blaming each other, they're hiding, their relationships are messed up. But more than that, evil had entered the world. With that small act of disobedience, the world had been messed up. There would now be death. There would now be natural disasters. There would now be anger and lying and all sorts of unkindness. The perfect, all-inclusive buffet had been brought to an end an eternity too soon. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve. They've been followed by millions and billions of people who have done exactly the same thing, who have chosen the short-term pleasures of sin over God. If God is good, how come there's so much pain in the world? The first answer is quite simple. It's not God's fault, it's ours. The world is broken because humans have messed it up. Human greed, human anger, unkindness, selfishness, these things can be traced often directly from one person doing something to another person suffering. But more than that, the Bible teaches that creation itself is under a curse because of humanity's rebellion. We broke the world. But there's something else that we must see from this passage. And that is a second answer to our question. A second introductory thought, really, to our question. And that is this. 
God has done something about it. We broke it, but God has done something about it. There's just one verse remaining to look at before we finish. And it's there in verse 15. It's just after God has found Adam and Eve in the garden and he's telling them the consequences of their sin. And first he addresses the serpents. He says, And I will put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Later in the Bible we're told that the serpent is the devil, Satan himself. And so it's Satan who's led Adam and Eve to disobey God. And so in this verse, in only the third chapter of the Bible, we get a glimmer of hope. God says that there will be hatred between, on one side, the woman and her offspring, her descendants, and on the other side, the devil. It's these last two lines that are really quite something. The descendant of Eve will crush the devil. And yet, at the same time, the devil will strike his heel. He'll wound him. This is just the third chapter of the Bible and although everything's gone terribly wrong, things suddenly in a way get exciting. Because there's got to be this question, who's going to be this descendant? Could it be Eve's children? Well, no, the bad one one kills the good one. Could it be Noah? Well, no, not really, he dies. What about Abraham? Well, no, it doesn't end up being him either. What about King David, the great king? And actually, he does some great stuff, but he never crushes the devil we know who this descendant is don't we in fact in a couple of months time we're going to remember it because a long time later a descendant of Eve was born a descendant who could stand up to the devil's temptations and say no a descendant who unlike Adam did obey every one of God's commands One who at the end of his life went to a cross and on that cross died to take the sins of the world. Died that all who believe might no longer be under the devil's power but might be set free to live in that perfect relationship with God once again. So that you and I can know for certain today that one day we will return Not to a garden, but to a perfect eternal city. Each sermon in this five-week series has had a title. It's been called God's Good Gift of Life, God's Good Gift of Gender, of Marriage, of Work. But this final sermon is entitled The Ultimate Good Gift. Because as good as life on earth is at the best of times... We have something to be even more thankful for. And that is our Saviour, Jesus Christ. In the pain and suffering and darkness of this world, we were given hope. We were given a Saviour. We were given someone who can take away that shame 
and someone who will one day return and make everything right. We've been looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. Let's go right to the end and look at Revelation 21, the penultimate chapter of the Bible. Here's what it says. And on that day, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God who is seated on the throne said I am making everything new. If God is good, how come there's so much pain in the world? Well, because we broke it. But God has done and will do something about it.